I'm your host, Leah Sarapier, and welcome to my podcast, PMED. I'm a Canadian medical student, human rights, global health, and social justice advocate, and just an ordinary human being. PMED's podcast is not affiliated nor part of any organization or foundation. PMED's mission is serving humanity, connecting people, stories, and places. It is a platform that gives a voice to the voiceless, an ear to the helpless, and seeks to empower youth, physicians, and leaders far and wide. On today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking to Lives for Literacy, a grassroots movement started by World Literacy Foundation Ambassador Yasmin Farapir. This movement is dedicated to eradicating illiteracy in Canada and abroad, and raising awareness about the beauty of education, among many others. Is literacy a human right? Does illiteracy matter in the midst of a COVID-19 pandemic? Can youth strive to ensure children have their basic right to education respected? Listen with me to hear what youth leaders have to say and how their initiative, Lives for Literacy, empowers humans across Canada and worldwide. Yasmin Farapir is currently pursuing her undergraduate studies in political science with a minor in human rights at Concordia University. In the future, she hopes to attain a master's in peace, human rights or diplomacy, and thereafter to work in the field of international human rights research. Yasmin is the Canadian World Literacy Foundation ambassador, and she believes literacy goes beyond being able to read and write, as it is a tool that brings positive change to uplift individuals out of poverty. Breaking the cycle of illiteracy and improving self-esteem is crucial for women and girls in the developing world. By By enabling them to become economical, productive, and independent, they become empowered and can take control of their lives. Yasmin loves reading as she believes that it takes her into the perspectives of others and helps expand one knowledge. Some of her favorite books include the Harry Potter series, The Breadwinner, Prisoner of Tehran, and A Thousand Splendid Sons. Yasmin hopes to inspire people and educate them about the importance of literacy. She aspires to take on this initiative along with her wonderful team to a local and an an international level. Arman Laku is a first-year student at the University of Ottawa in Canada, and he will be studying conflict studies and human rights. Arman loves to read and is a Bollywood dance student and teacher. He loves to ignite a passion for dance in his students and hopes to further his dance career as he moves to Ottawa. To Arman, literacy is an essential skill that enhances an individual's quality of life. After seeing the effects of illiteracy firsthand, Arman hopes to make a change and help wherever possible to work towards alleviating illiteracy. He hopes he hopes that with his leadership and spearheading other charitable initiatives such as the Love of Reading campaign and the World Partnership Walk, Arman is confident that he can use the skills he has acquired towards this initiative. He is also a Canadian World Literacy Foundation ambassador, and Arman 
considers his strongest skills to be his communication and verbal skills, which are important when collaborating and working with a team. He acknowledges that literacy is a key aspect to alleviating poverty and he hopes that he can become an advocate for all individuals who struggle regularly because of illiteracy and poverty. Sayan Prasad is currently a third-year student at the University of Toronto, studying political science and health studies. She is an avid reader, citing her favourite novel as The Picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde, and is a lover of music and film. To her, literacy goes beyond the comprehension of words and numbers. It is a foundation to build one's future. Literacy is the foundation of education. Literacy also takes many other forms, whether it be in reading comprehension, media, or even financial. She hopes, as Vice President of Lives for Literacy, to grow to to grow the platform to be an educational tool in literacy awareness, as well as to promote and create accessible resources to remove barriers to literacy for both youth and adults in Canada and across the globe. Hello and welcome to the Pyramid Podcast. Today I have the pleasure of speaking to Yasmin Farapir, the president and founder of Lives for Literacy, Mr. Arman Laku, the vice president of Lives for Literacy, and Sain Prasad, the vice president of events at Lives for Literacy. Hello, everybody, and how are you doing today? Doing well. How are you? I am great as well, too. Um, thank you for joining me on today's episode, where we will be discussing lives for literacy and the power of this international movement that you guys have created. Tell me about lives for literacy. What does it stand for, and what do you do? So, lives for literacy is a grassroots movement that was founded by me, Yasmin, when I wanted to extend my impact and reach communities across the globe. That is when I connected with fellow WF ambassadors, Orman from Alberta and Kelly from British Columbia. We put together a team of Canadians who serve as a co-committee, although we have execs from all over the world, such as India, Nepal, and Ivory Coast. In regards to the name, the name Life Literacy comes from the power of us as humans to affect tangible change, especially as literacy is a human right that can change lives. As such, we strive to eradicate illiteracy in Canada and abroad, but are not just limited to just this important goal. We have a number of different teams, such as education, advocacy, as well as research. And even more so, we have working groups that tackle issues such as human rights, health literacy, refugees and migration, and mental health. That's fantastic, Yasmin. Can you tell me why was the movement born in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic? Yes, of course. So life's most persistent and urgent question is what are, what are you doing for others? The COVID-19 pandemic has been disastrous, as we can all agree, throughout the world. But it taught me the power of connection, innovation, and creativity. More free time on my hands and passion towards working and serving youth across the globe, Life's Literacy was formed, and today it has become a platform that provides opportunities, creativity, and allows us to touch lives from the comfort of our homes, especially, especially and essentially it has become my family. Wow, Yasmin, that's really interesting to see how the COVID-19 pandemic has brought this aspect of innovation and creativity. And it, it amazes me how you've been able to mass mobilize a whole group of students united in the same goals and missions as yours. And so how did you come across this project? How did you initiate or decide that I wanted to start a movement? 
Um, so it started when I was a child. I had the desire to serve the less fortunate. And coming from South Africa, I knew my experiences taught me how privileged I was having been witness to the many injustices of the people in the slums of Soweto that they faced, such as extreme poverty, hunger, malnutrition. I understood what hardship meant. Who makes up the team? Is it only students or community members as well? Um, no. So at Life at Life our strength lies in diversity, in the power of being so multicultural, not just where we are from or but also in the languages we speak and the diverse background that our members come from. It is it makes it makes it such joy every single time we connect or I have the pleasure of speaking to volunteers, whether it be from Ecuador, Malaysia, or even the island of St. Martin. The team is made up of high school students and university students, but also we have two advisors who guide us and offer their tips support, whether we are lost or just in need of ideas. That's that's amazing, Yasmin. And what are some benefits of being so multicultural and diverse? Well, that's a very good question. So perspectives, new ways of thinking, space for innovation, and for us to transform words into actions, because after all, um, actions speak louder than words. Definitely. I definitely agree on you on that. And currently, how many countries are there within the movements, and approximately how many volunteers do you have? At the moment, we have 54 plus countries and over 220 students, but it brings me great pleasure that we are still growing. That's, that's great to hear. And how has this experience been leading an international team of, of students and volunteers and youth in their own communities? How has this been? Well, so digital, digitalization has made it possible for us to reach communities halfway across the world. And thanks to the internet, when applications for volunteers were open, we received almost over 75 applicants in one day. That is a lot of applicants to receive in just launching the whole initiative. Exactly. I was very happy to see so many youth that want to, that have the same goal as me. That's, that's really great. I can see how inspiring it is. And so, Yasmin, you really serve as an inspiration. And has this experience been challenging? Definitely. As an experience, it definitely has been challenging. I personally have felt overwhelmed. But after, but after pausing and looking back at the impact, I cannot help but smile as I have faith in my family, my volunteers, and my team in what we strive to achieve together. Definitely. I think looking into the future of the legacy lives legacy will have, it's really inspiring to see what a movement it has become and how humans across the globe have come together committed for change. We had a volunteer that was interested, but unfortunately, that volunteer didn't know English. So we got a pretty on board and told Fia to help us with helping understand what is life literacy, what, how to become a volunteer, and what he can benefit from it. So, that is so it. now ambassadors at Lives for Literacy are playing an additional role as translation uh, ambassadors where they communicate and translate the information for volunteers in their country to be able to understand the mission vision of Lives for Literacy so that the opportunities available to those who speak English are now also available to those that do not speak English, for example. That's what I'm gathering that now ambassadors are additionally doing, if I'm correct, Yasmin. Right. Okay, that's amazing. I think, I think having uh, English as a main form of communication within Lives for Literacy, but allowing ambassadors to take an initial lead by having the 
people or students in their communities participate and being the mediator between lives for literacy and them is uh, another way of of thinking outside of the box what are some initiatives that lives for literacy has led or created and what have you guys hosted that's my department so in terms of initiatives and events what haven't we done um there has been well with the within the working groups themselves they work on their own initiatives but i can probably give you a bit more understanding of what the over branching events team has done at Lives to Literacy. So the first thing we did as an organization or well grassroots movement is World Literacy Day. We hosted a panel of speakers from all around the world to kind of share their education stories to kind of get the ground running on this idea of empowering humans as an organization. And with that we then we talked about you know what was their schooling like what can they do how does government impact their schooling and it was our first event it was pretty well attended for the first time we've ever done something like this and it was pretty amazing but in the last few months we've done a whole set of events we've done fundraisers which Armand is definitely going to be able to talk more about and we've also done various panels we did a panel on student mental health in December around COVID-19 we did a event a few weeks ago about financial literacy because literacy is such a broad topic to talk about. There's so many various topics that we can delve into and financial literacy is something that students really don't get the opportunity to talk about in school, especially in North America. We don't really talk about you know taxes, budgeting, savings when it comes to that aspect of financial math. So that was something we thought would be incredibly useful for students. We have done we've commemorating various international days of advocacy we've hosted an event on world aids day human rights day we've done presentations revolving around various topics including migration and refugees and yeah the events that we've hosted the initiatives we've hosted have been so incredibly broad at the same time so specific to our mission and it's been incredibly amazing to see because it's not just myself planning events it's everybody on the team everybody comes with such amazing ideas and our initiatives reflect that and so, yeah sighing so i see there's there's a lot of educational um academic oriented events is is that only what lives for literacy does like only academic educational initiatives or activities oh most definitely not um you know we are about empowering students and helping out students and while that is academic in itself we try to make sure it's a space where stories can be heard. We also want it to be a space where people feel comfortable, but we're also very artistic okay. in our events. We've hosted, uh, well, Armand, our VP, has hosted a Bollywood dance workshop. Ooh. We did that. We have our mental health campaign right now. It's mental health art. And we've also done socials and events for our volunteers whether it be whether it be a movie night or something else that we could be in the works but we've all done something away from academics as well because you know as students to reach an audience of students we don't want it to constantly be like you know here's this information here's this information here's this workshop this is what you need to know to be successful we don't want to do that we want to make it a space where they feel comfortable they can let their hair down they can relax 
and they can also learn something along the way. Okay, wow. And so I also gather that there's a READ book club. Could you tell me what READ stands for? READ stands for Read, Educate, Advocate, Develop. It was It is our pilot project in a sense when it comes to life literacy. It has been slightly difficult to launch because within time zones, within a whole bunch of different people, it is hard to get everyone on an online book club platform because that's what it is. It is an online book club. It is, you know, go at your own pace. We will assign a book a month. They will read it. They'll fill out their reading journals and they can talk about it, discuss it in the forums. And we also try to host a meeting at the end of the month for all these book club members to see each other and come together. In the future, we hope to also have an author talks with the book club, depending on the, you know, the reach of the author, the size of the book, stuff like that. And sign if you don't mind giving a shout out to the guest speakers that Labs for Literacy has hosted, would you, could you kindly name some guest speakers that you guys have had the honor of hosting? Most definitely. We had a ton of guest speakers who, without them, we, we cannot host any single event. So there's Abhijit Naskar, who is a humanitarian scientist and guest speaker we had for World Harmony and Peace. Anthony Fez, who, was a, who is a famous comedian. He is currently living with HIV AIDS, and he came to speak with us for World AIDS Day. Uh, Dr. Gupta from India, a psychologist. Uh, Ms. Nadia Manji, a motivational speaker. Ms. Asma Turkmen, a social activist from Pakistan. We also had uh, Toronto's very own, the cuddle couple, Emma and Pablo, a therapy therapists organization that helped us out for student mental health. Recently, we hosted Megumi Smithson, a podcast host, an all-around amazing human being. She led our workshop on financial literacy, and we are currently in the works. We are hosting Ms. Tina Strawn, an anti-racism facilitator and activist in the United States. She will be hosting our workshop on racial literacy and anti-Black racism as a part of our Education as a Human Rights series of this upcoming week. Okay, wow. These are all great speakers uh, with, with accolades of their own. Um, but what sets Lives for Literacy apart from similar organizations who maybe share the same vision and mission? When it comes to different organizations, there are a lot of educational organizations, movements that are focused on literacy. A lot of them are national in orientation. A lot of them focus on you know the issues that evolve within their own domestic countries and their own you know policies but lives for literacy is an international movement we try to bring awareness to all various issues pertaining to literacy across the world we are definitely in our own right very unique because our events also are various in style a lot of literacy organizations will take more broad terms in terms of what they want to host. A lot of it will be centered around education, reading and writing skills. However, we acknowledge literacy is a very broad definition and therefore there's a lot of literacy skills that people do not get developed. A lot of countries have very high literacy rates, but the literacy skills and adults are very low. So we try to make sure that is addressed as well. And also as a Canadian movement, we acknowledge the land in which we operate, also known as land acknowledgements. As a Canadian civil 
organization, we are also a part of the movement towards reconciliation with Indigenous communities in Canada. And because our executive team, our core team is so broad, we are all across the country. Um, we have some execs who will be moving around from place to place. So land acknowledgement change. A land acknowledgement is very important because this is a way for us to acknowledge the land in which we operate it can be unseated. Uh, it could be under territory. It could be under unlawful occupation. It is a way for us to acknowledge that the land that we are on has ancient traditional roots. It is It belonged to the indigenous communities before us and it will after us. It is a way for us to also be accountable to indigenous communities. For example, we always acknowledge a land in which we operate is Montreal because, you know, if it were no COVID and for some, for some miraculous reason, we would all be able to work together in Montreal, we would acknowledge a land in which we are based is Montreal. And Montreal is the land of the Mohawk. And it is also unceded territory, meaning that there is no treaty. It wasn't actually bought it was taken from them. So in doing so, we are accountable to the people of the Mohawk, we are accountable to the history on that land. And also, it is also a way for us to educate international communities on Canada's movement towards reconciliation. It's also why we have it instilled in any of our event protocols that even if execs are hosting event to the international community, for example, any execs that are international, for example, that live in India, hosting an event for Indian students, we do ask that they do this land acknowledgement. While they are not in, Mont in Montreal or in Canada at all, they would be in the hypothetical. So they have that responsibility. And Sain, how has it been? Because land acknowledgements are well known in Canada and as a Canadian civil organization, a movement that lives for literacy is, I'm pretty sure that Canadian students know what land acknowledgements are, but how has it been explaining to uh, international students what uh, land acknowledgement is and the power of the land acknowledgement? Definitely. In a few of our Zoom calls in the beginning too, we always put in links to various resources when I do a land acknowledgement at the beginning of the event because you know they don't know what it is. They do not understand what it is because they've never had to do a land acknowledgement before. They don't have to hear them at the beginning of their their school day when they have the national anthem being played. They don't exactly know because you know they don't have that history as North America does. So when they do ask questions, you know, we try to be as patient as we can because land acknowledgements is also something that's confusing for Canadians as well. Because a part of our reflection, we often talk about it being a living document, making it a living statement, making it a move of an act of solidarity. How do we reflect on a land acknowledgement? But, you know, at the end of a land acknowledgement, I always put in that little blurb on a slide that says, you know, why do we do this? What is the purpose of this? Because we want to be able to connect to that international audience. Mm -hmm. And how does, how does this relate to service to humanity, which is the main um, mission or main statement that the PMED podcast goes by, service to humanity is serving humanity. So how does Lives for Literacy essentially serve humanity? I think another thing might be just keeping in mind who we are uh, kind of serving almost. Um, 
when we work with Lives for Literacy and when we uh, complete our tasks and do our jobs, uh, at the end of the day, when we look at why we're actually doing it and what, what we want to achieve in the end of all of this, um, I think that's really important uh, when kind of talking about service to humanity. Um, we aren't really, it's not like we aren't really doing this for ourselves, but more for um, the education of others and to inspire others to also um, help and do good and um, really teach people about uh, literacy and what it is and how we can help others around the world who don't have access to equal education and stuff. I think it's really important to uh, recognize that when we all work together as volunteers, we also um, work for the greater good of others. Definitely. And the way that I, I'm understanding this, uh, for example, Arman, is that Lives for Literacy's motto is empowering humans. And to empower humans, I think that's a service to humanity because the next generation of students, those that are coming onto the platform, the volunteers that have come to Lives for Literacy, they are learning valuable skills. And in the next 20 years, who knows, somebody may say, hey, I learned this particular task or I learned about land acknowledgements from um, the v vice president of events at Lives for Literacy. And Mr. Armand Lakur taught me um, that it's possible to host a Bollywood dance workshop and make it a fund event to raise for funds. So I think these are a lot of the skills of Lives for Literacy is teaching students and teaching them begins with them understanding, learning how to read and write and being able to get the necessary resources to actually effect tangible change in their communities. So that's how I kind of perceive and see Lives for Literacy performing or contributing towards serving humanity. Mm -hmm. And if I have to ask like individually, how what impact has this club had on you? Um, I think I've personally learned a lot from uh, Lives for Literacy. Um, like just for example, kind of just opening up our own bank account. Um, it was a lengthy process, but it definitely uh, taught me a lot about how, for example, just like simple banking works. Um, it's been a it's been a great experience just to kind of um, learn more about like the inner workings and like the the actual like the meat and the bones of like a real foundation or not or an organization and movement like this. Um, I think it's I think it's a great opportunity for anyone who really wants to, who's really passionate about literacy and joining a movement like this. It's honestly so rewarding to see um, events follow through and people actually interacting with us and uh, wanting to learn more about how they can help others in need of uh, improvement in literacy. It's it's a great experience overall. And I've, um, I've only had good things to say about Lives for Literacy. You iterated that Lives for Literacy serves as a family away from home. But beyond this, what impact has Lives for Literacy had on you? Um, I would definitely say that that like project management skills, um, a whole new way of planning events and way to think about uh, hosting events, definitely. And, you know, I've definitely been more conscious of various time zones in the world because sometimes you'll have people registering that are in Yemen or in Afghanistan. You're like, are they gonna be awake for this event? And then sometimes you have people joining in, they're like, yeah, it's like two o'clock in the morning here. And you're sitting at your desk, and you're like, I feel so sorry, but thank you so much for your support. But I would definitely say that, you know, when it comes to last literacy, definitely my Zoom skills have been 
improve significantly from the beginning of the pandemic. It definitely helped out when I started working again in the middle of the pandemic at school, having to like facilitate events. I already knew what I was doing because I had been doing this for months already. Yeah. So definitely it's our, it's definitely helped me improve my leadership skills, definitely working with an international audience and international volunteers, you know, having that level of patience, that caring, the understanding, and, you know, just dealing with that willingness to work and all the barriers that come with it. But definitely, life literacy has taught me a lot. And that's amazing. And because you mentioned about how it could be 2 a.m., say, in, in a volunteer's country, has it ever happened that any of the executives have stayed awake in their time zone to maybe attend an event? Yes, there is one executive who is awake. No matter what time it is going to be in India, Yamaha will be awake at any time. It will be the most assertive and probably participate more than anybody who registers. Yamaha is probably my MVP when it comes to events. No matter what time it is, he will be there. And it's amazing to see, but also I'm so concerned at the same time. Like it's two or three o'clock in the morning and we're talking about like education and he's ready to go head to head with Yulia on a debate. And it's amazing to see, but it's also quite concerning. <laughs> yes, I definitely agree with you. It's really, it's really interesting to see how much passion he has towards advocating for education, or whether it, if he's talking about money, or if he's if he's just participating in any activity within Lives for Literacy. But I think to see that dedication that Yabaha, for example, has is very inspiring. And at the end of the day, when you have to sit and think and maybe if you're losing hope, for example, just thinking about Yabaha's dedication towards the entire movement is enough to, for example, make you smile. But Yasmin and Arman, like, how does it feel to represent Canada as a World Literacy Foundation ambassador? Um, for me, I'd say it's been a, a real privilege when it comes to representing my country, Canada, because um, I wanted to make Canada proud and with it, every child, I wanted to make sure that every child continues to be on the path of education. And recently I read an article that, say, that stated that there are 617 million children and adolescents that lack the proficiency to, in reading and in mathematics. So this is really, it's a large number and I hope that life literacy has is able to, no matter what, have a whether it's a large impact or a small impact, as long as it be striving for change, that's, that's what matters. Um, I completely agree um, with what Yasmin said. I, um, It was honestly such a huge privilege to be involved with uh, the World Literacy Foundation. I um, kind of got involved through uh, another uh, foundation that uh, we were doing a charity for at my school, my high school. Um, and through there, one of the parents actually mentioned to me that I should apply uh, for the World Literacy Foundation Ambassador Program. Uh, and that's kind of how I got to meet uh, Yasmin and kind of collaborate with her um, and then uh, get to work with Lives for Literacy. Um, but through the World Literacy Foundation Ambassador Program, it was honestly, um, it was so uh, rewarding to kind of um, 
learn all the information that they gave us and to, uh, meet and interact with all these different people that uh, were coming from so many different countries representing their countries um, and then kind of uh, discuss all the stuff that we learned about and kind of talk about and collaborate um, about all the stuff that we learned. It was honestly so uh, such a rewarding experience and so um, such a positive one too. Lives for Literacy, for example, I didn't even know um, what financial literacy was. I didn't know that there was uh, workshops that could be held on half the stuff that we do. Um, I've met so many different people through Lives for Literacy. Um, for example, the other day I was doing the Instagram takeover and um, Andy, one of the speakers from our uh, HIV AIDS, World AIDS Day, um, he swiped up on the story and just kind of uh, said my name and it was just like, um, in that moment, I kind of realized like, oh, I've met so many people through this um, amazing movement and it's just so great to see. And I think what's even cuter, Arman, is that they know you, but you may not necessarily know them, but you are an inspiration to so many across the world who probably wake up and are part of the movement because they are inspired by, by what we do at Lives for Literacy, for example. Absolutely. Have you learned to appreciate something that maybe you didn't before? Of course, I learned to appreciate and see how privileged I am, but also the bi the biases based on the discrimination and barriers that exist, which we as students would like to break down. For like, for example, seeing how education is in Canada versus how it's how it's in other countries, it's a it's a really it's very very different. And another thing that I'm also I wasn't aware of that every single day now there's a reason. Another reason that I'm a purpose to look forward to, I don't know, I'll be waking up every single day smiling because I have another family and that, that have the same passion as me that they want to change the world, create an impact. So you mean to say you never thought it was ever possible to, to see that you would have family members across the world who share exactly. the same passions as you. That is, that is very wonderful. And so why do each of you believe that literacy is one of the most important tools to eradicate the problems our world faces? I feel like honestly, literacy, when people don't know how to read and write, it becomes a vicious cycle almost. Um, when people aren't privileged enough with like their the skills to read and write, um, it's more difficult for them to get a job, more difficult for them to get income. Um, and then they aren't able to provide for their kids to get the education that they need. Um, and it honestly just keeps going and it's a spiral from there. And I feel like literacy is where that spiral kind of stops and where um, that barrier is broken and can be brought into the working world and the real world where they can actually um, find income, find uh, jobs and stuff and kind of provide for themselves and become more independent. And I think moving forward with literacy um, is one of the one of the monumental aspects of their lives that can change. So I think um, literacy is a huge tool that can be used. And I think that's why it's so important that we focus on it and fo focus on education. I liked how Arman had said it's a monumental change, Jasmine. Exactly. Of how literacy is a foundation that every single individual be it a human being needs to have and giving them this opportunity that Lives for Literacy is focusing on literacy is the basics of human rights. And that particular skill allows them to go on to contribute and affect and change their lives in many ways that wouldn't be possible if, if literacy was not something that they focused on. 
Um, but if we transition now, could you tell me about the different working groups that you have? We have the Human Rights Working Group, Refugees and Migration, amongst others. So for, for the Human Rights, um, it we got together with other students, other volunteers that created this PowerPoint about human rights. For example, we had uh, in Nepal at Triang School. So there we, we, were, we thought to grade four students, over 130 plus, and seeing their faces of how happy they were, how interactive the PowerPoint was, was something that I'll, I'll always remember. But other than that, we had a domestic violence open debate and discussion. We had social media campaigns, human rights solidarity videos, and last but not least, we had a human rights for, for First Nations children. My point is that I thought Lives for Literacy was for students and young professionals. I didn't know that Lives for Literacy was able to touch a community of grade four students in, in not even Canada, but across the world, halfway in Nepal. That is phenomenal to be able to take into consideration the outreach that Lives for Literacy has had. Could you tell me about the Refugees and Migrations Working Group, maybe? Yes. So uh, it, this is the newest working group is being led by a refugee from Uganda. And we have counseling sessions coming up and I'm excited to see where he takes this. I think having a, a refugee leading a working group is pretty unique because Probably. he could definitely add his experiences. His, exactly. And do you want to tell me about the other two working groups, which are the mental health and the health literacy? For sure. So mental health, it was just this one. It was, we had two parts of a Every Mind Matters workshop. So students from four countries, such as Pakistan, which, some, which was Farhan Ali Baluch, then Indonesia, for the, India was Nanita Thakur, and Nepal, Rajalia. So they together, they formed uh, this workshops. One was on a Saturday and a Sunday, if I'm not mistaken. So they... They spoke about what mental health is, how to get, how to help yourself. To see if you if you need help, then we got a, a test to see in which personality we fall under and why we are certain ways as such. Then we also had a mental health art workshop by Michaela, another volunteer from Canada. So she was there on Zoom, busy painting, which she spoke about how therapeutic it is health literacy working group i know go ahead i know there's a um what's it student-led eureka health initiative which is could you explain that to me yes so we have students that are from india and pakistan who have created this initiative where they teach medical subjects to students that are also studying medicine for example physiology and when they're interviewing the students of who would be teaching such subjects, the, from what I had seen, the interview was very strict and they made sure that they only got the best of the best. Could you tell me about why you guys decided to focus on the health literacy aspect for the first edition of the magazine? Well, you also well, you gotta look at when we started. You know, we started in the midst of the world's biggest pandemic right now, right? We're in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. You know, we're talking about literacy. We're talking about all these things, but it's a literacy skill that is not developed in a lot of people. Health literacy, mental health literacy, people's mental health was incredibly impacted by the pandemic. People 
who couldn't read or write, people who don't really necessarily understand, you know, all the information that is being thrown at them on a constant basis, you know, case data, looking at the growth of the pandemic, you know, what are we doing? So the Health Literacy Magazine was our perfect way to introduce this topic of literacy, to talk about all these various important issues that people thought of during the pandemic, and especially because the working group was so dedicated to it, there was no better time to talk about this issue, rather than starting off with like, you know, reading skills, you know, financial literacy, we start off with health literacy. That's a perfect way to get a group of students to raise awareness about the importance of this important skill, being able to understand the medical health related information that is crucial to surviving and overcoming the COVID-19 pandemic. So great initiative to you guys for creating this uh, magazine and for leading it to raise awareness uh, in communities, not in, not only alone in Canada, but abroad. And what fundraisers have the team Lives for Literacy taken part in? Um, so we've had a few um, fundraisers that we've taken a uh, part in. Our funds kind of go towards two different, um, they kind of take two different roads, I guess. Um, so our first uh, fundraiser was our Bollywood workshop. Um, so um, I've been a part of this uh, Bollywood dance group. So I thought it would be a cool idea to uh, bring that to Lives for Literacy because it's something that I'm passionate about. Um, so we brought it to Lives for Literacy as a paid um, event. It was a free event, but uh, we promoted our uh, a payment method, and that way uh, people could donate um, to our movement. And we were donating the funds towards um, one of our uh, kind of close associates. Her name is Clara, and she is uh, the founder of Moana Art Space. Um, and she, what she did with the funds was donate. Um, all the money to um, towards working supplies and school supplies for kids in Kenya. Um, so that was a really great way to um, uh, allocate our funds from this uh, workshop and this fundraiser. Um, but the Bollywood workshop was uh, basically just um, uh, my dance group came and they taught a quick routine uh, to the people who signed up. And then um, it was just a great way to kind of get moving on a Saturday morning. And then our other fundraiser was the mental health art workshop. So we have a few um, kind of fundraisers uh, that happened and I hope we can do some more in the future, but um, that's kind of where our, we are looking at for fundraisers. That's pretty cool, Armand, to see the the fusion of both uh, Lives for Literacy and your dance group to come together to raise funds and to bring awareness to the importance of literacy. And I love the fact that you guys have decided to contribute a portion of the money towards the volunteer, um, Clara, who um, is from Kenya. So that is pretty inspiring. Um, so if, if I transition to the next question, what if... What has been accomplished this thus far? We're now approximately six months into uh, the into um, the creation of Lives for Literacy, and how does one get involved? To everybody listening, that is maybe inspired after hearing the amazing ideas that this team has, how do they get involved? Well, on our website, we have a form for volunteers to fill out or there's others interested that are in collaborating with us or forming an alliance, by all means, feel free to share the opportunity. Then we also have a YouTube channel that includes all of the videos that we've had, plus the events, 
and the story of life's literacy. And Yasmin, what, is, what has Lives for Literacy accomplished thus far? Besides the social media uh, statistics, what else have you guys done? I can tell that you guys have released a magazine, you've hosted a bunch of workshops, you've interacted with international speakers, you've hosted fundraisers. What else have you guys done? We've been able to mass mobilize the volunteers to come together and effect change that they that they have the same desires and goal as us. We've been recognized by the Human Rights Museum of Canada, Amnesty International. We created a new website and yeah. That's amazing. And so Lives for Literacy has, is definitely evolving and will go on to accomplish much more, hopefully into the future. Um, so what are what is next? What are some upcoming events or future plans that Lives for Literacy has for volunteers and members of the public? Well, right now, the events team and I, we are working on a 12 part series regarding the idea of promoting education as a human right, as it is one of our, you know, main parts of our mission statement, Lives for Literacy. We have so far covered, you know, the United Nations Declaration of Human Rights and the Sustainable Development Goals by the UN. We recently, and in our upcoming event, our second event out of the 12, we are talking about racial literacy and anti-Black racism, noting race as one of the barriers to education, especially in the North American context. We are hosting Tina Strawn, an anti-racism facilitator based out of the United States. Um, she is amazing. She's going to be leading a workshop on, you know, what is racial literacy, you know, performance activism, and more so that how can we as students, the general public, combat anti-Black racism in all of our lives? You know, there's so many things that whether it be microaggressions or macroaggressions in the classroom or in our daily lives that we witness, you know, how do we confront that? How do we put a stop to that? And what are strategies that we can gain confidence in doing so? Because we all have a role to play in that. Beautiful. So these are some exciting plans and taking, I'm, I'm excited to see where Lives for Literacy takes them. But I just want to wholeheartedly thank you all for coming onto the PMED podcast, for speaking with me, for sharing your insight, for offering your opinions, and for slowly, one step at a time, impacting the lives of those around you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed this podcast, feel free to like it and share it with your friends and family members. For further information, feel free to visit our website, The Pure Post, read our articles, and visit our merchandise at PureMed. The links are available in the description. We here at PureMed are ecstatic to bring you exciting new content, week in and week out. Don't forget to subscribe to stay updated. We cannot wait to see our new and familiar faces here back each episode. Thank you for tuning in. Stay safe, stay healthy.